If we were to set up a dream recruiting class for South Carolina based on their current board, what exactly would the class look like? You are Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for the latest headlines and potential storylines on South Carolina Gamecock Athletics. I'm Andrew Lyon, the host of this podcast, and also a staff writer for Gamecocks Digest over on SI.com. Thank y'all so much for making the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast your first listener watch here today. We are free and available both wherever you get your audio podcasts daily and also on YouTube. Before we get into this Monday edition of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, I want to let y'all know that this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Make every moment more by visiting FanDuel.com slash Lockdown today to get started. At the time of this show, there may or may not have been some big news coming out of South Carolina's final official visit weekend for the summer. And no matter what has taken place to this point, I think that South Carolina could still very well have the dream class that they could construct right now based on their current recruiting board. And when looking at South Carolina's different position groups, there could be a debate over sort of where each of their final spots could be allotted at. You could say they maybe need two or three wide receivers. You could say that they need two edge rushers and maybe a couple of interior D linemen. I think that they do need each of those guys plus a running back and a cornerback as well. So if we break it down position by position, what could end up being a dream class for Shane Beamer and South Carolina's football program? Well, let's start off at running back with Mississippi native Daniel Hill. Now, Daniel Hill just took an official visit to Columbia this past weekend. And again, assuming he hasn't committed by this point, South Carolina has been battling the Alabama Crimson Tide in trying to land the rising senior out of the Magnolia State. Daniel Hill would fit South Carolina's dream class because he is a complete back who would probably be the most talented high school running back the Gamecocks have signed since Marshawn Lloyd signed with the Gamecocks back in the 2020 recruiting class. At wide receiver, there's three different guys that could fill in the spots for a dream class. Those guys are Jonathan Paler, Keelan Adams, and Parker Livingston. All three of these guys have visited South Carolina in the month of June, with Jonathan Paler and Parker Livingston specifically taking official visits on different weekends. Paler could be the biggest overall offensive weapon that this program has had since Debo Samuel was roaming the field for the Gamecocks. Keelan Adams could give the Gamecocks a possession-type receiver to blend in with the road burners that they have on their roster and could be adding with the rest of this 2024 class. And then Parker Livingston, he is basically a track star that happens to wear shoulder pads. And if you pair him up with a guy like Nicholas Harper, maybe a Jonathan Paler, and also Mazio Bennett, 
It could be the fastest wide receiver quartet in all of college football. Going to edge rusher. Obviously, a dream class would include five-star edge rusher Dylan Stewart. Dylan Stewart would be the biggest commitment at this position since probably Jadavion Clowney committed to South Carolina back on National Signing Day in the 2011 recruiting cycle. And Dylan Stewart's commitment would change the entire perception of the position group as currently constructed on South Carolina's roster. But Dylan Stewart can't be the only edge rusher in this class. South Carolina needs to try to find another guy. And in a dream class scenario, in my opinion, I think that Daniel D.D. Holmes both could end up being in Columbia at the end of this process, but also is very realistic. He took an official visit to Columbia back on the weekend of June the 9th through the 11th, and he would be another feather in the DMV cap, so to speak, for Shane Beamer and his coaching staff. Moving on to the interior defensive line. South Carolina, they've swung and missed admittedly on several blue chip targets at this position. But again, they can't come out of this class empty-handed at this spot. So in my opinion, the two sort of dream prospects for them to get would be Denaz White and Namdi Abako. South Carolina seems to like the long-term potential of both of these guys, and both of these guys took an official visit to Columbia sometime this month. So, the Gamecocks, they do have a slot, I guess, in the run. So, the Gamecocks do have a seat at the table for both of these interior defensive line prospects. We'll just have to see how the recruitments continue to play out going forward. At cornerback, the Gamecocks already have DMV native Braden Lee in the fold. But again, they would like to probably pair up another guy with Lee. And in a dream class scenario, realistically speaking, the Gamecocks would love to get a guy like Jalewis Solomon, a guy that visited South Carolina officially back on the first weekend of June. I believe that was June the 2nd through the fourth. And Julius Sullivan, he's made a couple visits now to Columbia. The Gamecocks seem to be potentially a major factor here in this recruitment. And here's the other thing. Marcel Style, he is going to be gone after this season. You're also going to lose a guy like a D'Angelo Gibbs, and who knows? We don't know if David Spaulding is potentially going to come back or not. He's going into his fifth year of college football, and he's dealt with some injuries throughout his college career. So, nonetheless, South Carolina needs to get another cornerback in this class, especially if it's going to be a dream class. Jalewis Sullivan would be their guy. And then at the safety position, again, assuming this guy has not committed by the time the show comes out, David Busey would be that dream prospect for South Carolina. Busey seems to project as more of a safety than anything else, although I also think that if Busey could put on some weight, he could be a really good linebacker here in Columbia. But nonetheless, Busey is a smart, scrappy, and fundamentally sound football player who could thrive at the next level under assistant coach Torian Gray. Torian Gray, again, has proven that he can not only help refine the skill sets of real stars in the secondary, but also help mold and develop guys that need a little bit of time to sort of see 
their skills matriculate in the defensive backfield. A guy like a Jalen Foster, someone else like a Darius Rush, and now you're starting to see it with maybe someone like O'Donnell Fortune and Marcellus Dial. There's plenty of examples to go off of is my overall point here. David Busey in a dream class could be the next one for Touring Gray. So, all in all, South Carolina, as of this current moment, they could still get a lot of these guys that I just mentioned. There's only a couple guys where, admittedly, it might be a bit of a stretch to say they could end up in South Carolina's class at the end of the day. But the point being is the Gamecocks, there's still plenty of targets left on this board, even if some of them have already committed, again, by the time this show has come out. Now, when we come back in just a couple of moments, I'm going to be chatting with Locked On SEC host Chris Gordy. I'll be getting his thoughts on what the biggest storylines are in the SEC right now. What is overall thoughts on South Carolina and what they should be aiming to do in 2023? And also, with all the changes coming in 2024, could South Carolina be one of those teams sort of in the bottom half of the SEC that takes that next step and ends up rising to the occasion with the increased competition? Chris Gordy and I are going to dive into all those topics and more in just a couple moments right here on Locked On Gamecocks. But first... Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. Baseball season is in full swing, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel. New customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. The Atlanta Braves have been doing quite well up to this point in the season. I know that because of Turner Broadcasting, there's a ton of Braves fans out there across the country. And here's the thing. While we all like to watch our Braves, what's better than watching your favorite sports team? Watching them win, first of all, and also making money on the team winning as well. So don't miss your chance to snag a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. FanDuel is the official betting partner of Major League Baseball. Welcome back to today's edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. Thank you once again to all of you everydayers for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your daily choice for South Carolina Gamecocks sports coverage. If you would like to become an everydayer of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, you can feel free to give us a follow wherever you get your audio podcasts or subscribe on YouTube and be sure to click the bell for future alerts and notifications on future shows. We're going to continue talking with some people from around the SEC here from the Locked On Podcast Network. And today, I'm going to have a guest that is somebody that knows the entire conference quite well as he is Locked On's host of our SEC-based conference. I'm pleased to be joined by Locked On SEC host, Chris Gordy. Chris, welcome to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andrew. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, obviously, Chris, I know that you've had a lot to talk about on your show for the last couple of weeks now, as there's been a lot of big things going down with the SEC in regards to the future of the conference going into 2024 and beyond. And we're definitely going to be sure to touch on all of that. But 
let's go ahead and start with talking about the present in the SEC. Chris, when looking at the entire conference as a whole right now, what are some of the biggest storylines in your mind? Well, it's funny. We're just a couple of weeks out from SEC media days, and I had somebody ask me earlier today, you know, what's the biggest storyline heading into media days? And to me, obviously, Georgia, you know, is set up like their their schedule is such a cakewalk. They bring back so much, and you know that cupboard's just been loaded with talent with Kirby with those elite recruiting classes the last few few years. That even all they lost to the draft, even losing Stetson Bennett. You know, this team just looks as talented, if not, you know, maybe even more when you consider Carson Beck has more arm talent than a Stetson Bennett did. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, his ceiling is, you know, is higher than a Stetson Bennett's in terms of, you know, what what his physical capabilities are. You combine that with they bring in Dominic Lovett from Missouri, one of the best wide receivers in the country a year ago. Rara Thomas, another great receiver from Mississippi State a year ago. On top of, you know, the guys they already had on the roster, it's just it's an embarrassment of riches. And so, you know, I think we throw around the word three Pete, but it's very realistic for Georgia. When you look at that schedule that they have, um, it's as cupcake as you can get. And, you know, there's one or two pitfalls in there, but I feel pretty good about saying, you know, if I had to bet money on it and Georgia going undefeated again, I feel pretty good about it. So that's one storyline. The other big one everybody's going to have is Alabama's quarterback. You know, what's going on with that for the first time in, you know, almost a decade, we don't know what Alabama's quarterback spot is and, uh, you know, or who that's going to be. And if it's a guy that's not uh, as good as Bryce Young or Tua or some of these guys have had in recent years, does Alabama take another step back? Keep in mind, this past year, they had one of the most high-powered offenses in the country. You had Bryce Young, the Heisman, you know, reigning Heisman Trophy winner who becomes the number one pick in the NFL draft. You had Will Anderson Jr., sack leader, who was the number three pick in the NFL draft. And Bama still lost two games still miss the playoff. So oh, yeah. if they take a step back at quarterback, I mean, if we're talking three losses for an Alabama team, is Nick Saban finally starting to go, oh, this this thing is getting a lot tougher. What am I doing? Um, to me, that's one of the big storylines. And then, you know, I think a lot of people asking, who is the second best team in the East and West and who can compete for those titles? Uh, on one side, it's LSU, who they bring back almost every part of their offense. They lose Kayshawn Booty, but, you know, he was number two on their depth chart behind um, – Malik neighbors last year. So yeah, kind of look at it and say, you know, they bring back Jane Daniels. You got Mike Denbrock still back as the OC. Brian Kelly still there as the head coach. LSU's loaded and they did beat L- uh, Alabama last year. Now they have to go to Tuscaloosa. It's going to be tough, but I think LSU's got a chance. And then in the East, the question is how good is Joe Milton? You know, is, is this a football factory of quarterbacks that Josh Heupel is about to start producing that he turned Hendon hooker into this stud elite quarterback. Can he do the same with Joe Milton? Small sample size, but we saw the the Orange Bowl. He looked pretty great in the win over Clemson. So, um, you know, I think that's kind of the storylines headed in the SEC media days. Is you know, is Georgia still a favorite in the East? Sure, but how close is Tennessee and others? Is is Alabama the favorite in the West or is it LSU? I think that's going to be a little bit more 50-50. I think that's a toss up just because of the quarterback questions with Alabama. And then to me, like when I look at quarterbacks around the conference, KJ Jefferson at Arkansas is great. Um, you know, Will Rogers is back at Mississippi State, albeit they're not going to be running the air raid anymore with Mike Leach gone. But, you know, in the East, the question is, how far off is Spencer Rattler in South Carolina? Because, man, if if they play and come into the season and play like they did in those games on the backstretch of the season, the Tennessee game and the Clemson game, and even the bowl game against Notre Dame, I thought they played well, uh, well enough to win. Uh, if they come in and play like that, South Carolina is going to be a tough out for a lot of people this year. 
Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, you talk about sort of the SEC hierarchy there. I mean, you mentioned it. Georgia's at the very top right now, both in the SEC and all of college football. And then it does feel like for the first time in forever, you know, Alabama's really vulnerable in the SEC West, or at least the final year of the SEC West. Uh, Brian Kelly's got things rolling down there in Baton Rouge. And then, you know, after that, you probably have Tennessee. And then there's definitely a bit of a gap there. And there's kind of like a big middle pack that South Carolina's sort of trying to fight its way through right now and try to get towards the top in the SEC overall. And Chris, that kind of leads me into this 2023 slate because once again, um, South Carolina, they really made some people angry in the SEC front office because they got another brutal schedule in 2023. They faced North Carolina in Charlotte to start the year. Then they got to play at Georgia in week three. Okay. Then you got to play at Tennessee two weeks later. That's not quite ideal. You got to play at Kyle Field playing the Texas A&M Aggies later in the season. And then you got two tough back-to-back games to end the year against Kentucky and Clemson. So, Chris, without giving any sort of, like, prediction per se, do you think that this year South Carolina needs to be worried more about progressing once again on the field to keep the momentum going? Or do you think they need to just try to avoid taking a step back in lieu of what's going to be some big changes in the conference this next year? Yeah, I think it all depends on on what it looks like. I mean, you you go eight and four last season, eight and five if we count the bowl game, four and four in the conference. I think most fans say we got to repeat, either repeat that or do better, right? I mean, I, I think most fans don't want to see uh, a regression, and particularly coming back down to a six and six type schedule or something like that. Uh, but you ask, you know, what's doable? We know they'll beat Furman. We know they'll beat Jacksonville State. So those are two wins right there. I feel pretty good about a home game against Vanderbilt. So I'll give them a third win there. Um, you know, the question is, can you find four to five more wins there? And really, what's what's the schedule going to look like? I do think North Carolina is beatable. I, I hope Spencer Radler takes, uh, you know, comes in with a little chip on his shoulder because there's going to oh, yeah. be so much hype and talking that going into that game about Drake May. Oh, Drake May this, Drake May that. He's the... He's consensus, you know, first and the Heisman. Yeah. yeah, first run, first round quarterback coming up, and and I I don't understand the Drake May hype. I mean, I like he's made some plays, but like, did we watch how last season played out? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I think North Carolina finished the season on a four game losing streak. Drake May lost to Wake, uh, you know, barely beat Wake Forest. Like, th- there's some games in there that you know they lost to Georgia Tech, who fired their head coach. Like, there's mm-hmm. some games in there I look at and go, Drake May's like he's. He's good, but I don't know if he's his world beat that everybody's building him up to. And so that's where I wonder if Radler comes in with a little chip on his shoulder going, bro, I was a, I was a Heisman favorite a couple years ago at, uh, at Oklahoma. And now, you know, now I got a North Carolina quarterback grabbing all the headlines ahead of me into this matchup. So I think that's a winnable game for South Carolina. Certainly, you know, the, the North versus South runs deep. And so that'll be a fun one. Um, you take care of business against Furman. The Georgia game is going to be difficult, no matter how you look at it, having to go there. So you chalk that one up. I think Mississippi State is fascinating this year. Like, you, you lose the up-tempo, air raid offense. Rumor is they want to run the football a lot more. They're going to be more aggressive defensively with Zach Garnett as the head coach. So mm-hmm. you're going to kind of see this weird throwback Mississippi State team that's going to want to run the football, eat up clock. And Will Rogers is talented enough to make some throws that he has to. He's not going to throw it 50, 55 times a game like right. he did in the past. but um, again, it's a home game for South Carolina, so that one's winnable. Um, the the Tennessee game is fascinating to me as well because w- what is Joe Milton, right? Like we've seen Joe Milton at times when he, when he came over from Michigan. I mean, the guy just lets passes soar. I mean, overthrowing receivers left and right. 
like I said, he came back down to earth, looked good in the bowl game and all that. But what is Joe Milton as a full-time starter in the SEC? And look, I think a lot of people expect he's going to be good and think Tennessee will be right back in the mix as a 9-10 win team. But my question is, what if he's not? And what if yeah. he's, you know, do they make the switch to the five-star freshman, Nico Yamaliava, that early, you know, late September, uh, hosting South Carolina? That, again, could be one that maybe South Carolina capitalizes off of and wins out of, you know, a situation where Joe Milton's not playing well and maybe Nico's not ready to grab that spotlight yet. So that one's uh, that one's interesting to me. Again, Florida at home is winnable. At Mizzou is winnable. At AM, and uh, another team that's Jekyll and Hyde. What are they? Are they any good this year? They were 5-7 and seven a year ago, but they, they pl- put it all together and play their butts off to beat LSU to finish off their season. So, um, you know, Jacksonville State, you'll, you'll win. Vandy, you'll win. Kentucky, you know, with Devin Leary. I, I had somebody telling me that Kentucky may actually be better with, uh, with Devin Leary at quarterback than they were with Will Levis. And it's crazy to say that because Will Levis just got drafted and you know, he's an NFL quarterback now. But yeah, people believe having Liam Cohen back and an improved offensive line that Devin Leary could be a problem. So that's a fascinating one to look at on the backstretch of the schedule. And then, of course, the Clemson game, which is always absolutely brutal. So, you know, look, it's, it's a, there's a lot of what ifs in there for South Carolina, but it's a navigatable schedule. And like I said, can you find me seven wins in there? I think I think seven and five is doable. Um, and if a few things break your way, man, eight and four, maybe even nine and three could be doable if, if things go your way. Yeah. And uh, speaking of the strength of schedule, Chris, I saw something where uh, Phil Steele, they sort of compiled all the opponent win-loss records from the 2022 season for 2023. Number one on that list, South Carolina, toughest strength of schedule if you go based on that metric. And number two, I think, is the Florida Gators right behind them. So, yeah, South Carolina, Florida, definitely not getting an easy road in 2023, but certainly a lot of intriguing storylines nonetheless. Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC and I are going to continue our conversation regarding South Carolina and the SEC in just a couple of moments. We'll dive into 2024. What should South Carolina be trying to do with the arrival of Texas and Oklahoma coming in just 11, 12 months? We'll discuss that in just a moment. All right, continuing our conversation here with Locked On SEC host Chris Gordy. Chris, let's dive into sort of the biggest headline for this summer, which has been funny enough surrounding this next year in 2024 because the Texas Longhorns and the Oklahoma Sooners are both going to be officially joining the SEC this next summer. And that's obviously going to create a lot of change. There's going to be sort of a different pecking order in this conference, certainly maybe a recalibration of expectations for certain programs. But overall, Chris, what do you think the biggest sort of perceivable change is going to be conference-wide once this change takes place this next year? Well, you're, you're bringing in two brands and two brands with fan bases that are coming in and expecting to win. Now, I think Texas is a little bit more um, a little bit more so than Oklahoma, but they think their bleep doesn't stink. Like Texas fans are coming into this conference <laughs> thinking, expecting to win it. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. It, it's funny because when we added a- Texas A&M and Missouri over a decade ago, the mindset was kind of, you know, those guys are just happy to be here. Like I remember going to a- an A&M game in college station that year and everybody was like, howdy, welcome. Happy to have you. Oh, we- <laughs> They were wearing T-shirts that said like SEC on. I'm like, what are you guys doing? They're like, oh, we're we're just happy to be away from Big Brother in in Texas. We just, you know, we're happy to be part of a club like the SEC. And kind of the same thing with Missouri. And um, 
And now you're bringing in two, two brands that uh, are full of themselves, and particularly Texas. And so I think you're going to have a lot of humbling, um, you know, from those from those fan bases and from those programs coming into the SEC, realizing, man, this is a grind. I mean, look, it's one thing to play in the Big 12 where you play Baylor one week and Iowa State the next and TCU the next. But, man, try coming here where you're playing Georgia one week, at Tuscaloosa the next, then home for Florida. I mean, it, this schedule and this conference is a grind. And I think you're going to have two teams and fan bases that are going to have to you know, humble themselves a little bit. And, and I think for the rest of the SEC too, like we're making this tough on ourselves. I kept saying to people like, you know, all the talk of conference expansion, you want to add big brands. Well, somebody has to lose. Somebody has to suck. Like, so yeah, it's one thing to say, let's add all these brands, but who's going to lose. You're not going to win every game. It's just not going to happen anymore. So, um, you know, I kept telling people you want to expand, let's add uh, Indiana and uh, Wake Forest, and let's add some of those teams, not Texas <laughs> and Oklahoma. And now there's other talk, like, let's get Clemson and Florida State. Like, do you really want to go winless? <laughs> do you want to not win a game ever? Because that's what you're doing, no matter who you're a fan base uh, or fan of. So um, it's going to be it's gonna be fun to see. I, I mean, look, the, for a TV viewer, if you don't have a, any skin in the game, like you're a South Carolina guy, like if you get to watch Georgia at Oklahoma – Hell yeah, sign me up for that. Like as a viewer, that's going to be a lot of fun. But you know, for if you're a Georgia fan, you're probably going, "What do we get ourselves into? Why, why do we have to play these games now?" So uh, right. I don't know. It'll be fun to watch it. I, I know a lot of Tuscaloosa uh, folks in Tuscaloosa are excited. I think they go to Norman, Oklahoma next year. So that there's going to be a bunch of uh, there's going to be a bunch of games that that are, uh, are you know that that we're going to get to experience for the first time. But man, I, I just I always say, be careful what you wish for because, um, you know, Vandy's sitting there going, we're already the whipping boy. How much more of the whipping boy can we be? But does a South Carolina, a Kentucky, an Ole Miss, a Mississippi State, do they suffer because the strength of schedule just got this much, this much more difficult? I think it's going to be tough. Yeah, it's funny how you got a guy like Missouri's Eli Drinkwitz sitting there pounding the table saying that, you know, he's championing nine games and he can barely win six in the SEC East before we even go to this conference-wide schedule where they've now got to play everybody else over a four-year span. So there's certainly going to be some teams that are going to be losing more games. And Chris, that kind of segues into my next question. You bring up the group of Kentucky, Mississippi State, and Ole Miss, South Carolina, Missouri, Vanderbilt. That's kind of, I guess, that bottom group in terms of national perception with the SEC, with Texas and Oklahoma joining and out of all these teams there's probably only a couple where you could sit there and say maybe that's a team that can work themselves out of that group to where they're at least kind of middle of the pack and every couple years maybe they are like the top five or six in this conference do you think that South Carolina could potentially be one of those teams where kind of where things sit right now yeah I mean I think Shane Beamer's doing all the right things he's recruiting at a high level um you know he's using the transfer portal how he needs to use it I think uh, they continue on the path of NIL and and getting uh, players taken care of on that on that end. I think they'll be right there in the mix. Um, again, it's to, to me, it's all going to come always come back down to who's the quarterback because you know you're, you're not winning in in this new SEC. You're not winning double digit games with Luke Doty anymore. I mean, you need a you need a big time playmaker, and and we'll see what Rattler does this year to see elevate his game to the next level, but. You know, when I look at the Elite 11 this past weekend and, and you had uh, Julian Sand, the, the five-star quarterback, committed to Alabama, he wins MVP honors over, over Dylan Rayola, who is the you know number one quarterback committed to Georgia. 
And there was some good showings from DJ Lagway, the, the Florida commit, Colin Hurley, the LSU commit. I mean, these are stud four and five star quarterbacks that are all all kind of project to be the future of the SEC right now. You're going to have Arch Manning at Texas. Like these are big names. Question is, who's South Carolina got? You know, who are they plugging in or in on any of these future five star quarterbacks? That's what they have to be doing. Um, and and we'll see what happens with with Dole Loggins. I know that. Um, you know, Shane Beamer has hitched his wagon to him and said, this is the guy we want. Um, you know, would it have been better to go make a big splash higher and get a Kendall Bryles or, you know, somebody like that? Um, time's going to tell. But, you know, to me, that's you're, you're not winning a championship unless you have uh, really great or or special quarterback play. And we've seen that from from, you know, Joe Burrow at LSU, Mac Jones at Alabama, you know, and Stetson Bennett turned into that. I think he's kind of the exception to the rule, but he was he was a great quarterback these last two years for Georgia. So when you uh, when you look at that dynamic, I don't I don't know if you're putting yourself in the national picture now for for South Carolina. You know, I think the goal should be you know can you break through and get to ten and two one of those years? Ten and two should be good enough to get into the playoff. We were just kind of talking about that, looking at last year's field. You know, Tennessee if they don't trip up and they finish strong and they finish ten and two you know, that, that Hendon Hooker led Tennessee team is probably getting in as a playoff team in a 12 team playoff. So oh, yeah. um, that, that should be, I mean, look, South Carolina's goal should still be to win the conference, go to Atlanta, compete for an SEC championship title, no doubt. But at the end of the day, I think all you want to do is punch your ticket to that playoff. Cause once you're in anything can happen. And, uh, but again, I don't think nine and three gets you there. I think a 10 and two is what you have to do. So, you know, if there's a Georgia who's undefeated and about one lost Bama and they're going to Atlanta to play each other, a ten and two South Carolina could be sitting there going, "Well, we're in the playoff too. Let's go." Um, so that's kind of you know my my big picture look at it on a on a South Carolina. But you're right. I mean, they, we talk about parity. This thing can be cyclical and change every year. Like uh, the reason you know we mentioned that group of Kentucky and South Carolina and 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 uh, you know schools like that is just because we haven't seen those teams competing or playing for SEC titles. But certainly they can be in that. Nine and three, ten and two mix, knocking on the door of a playoff. Certainly, yeah. I mean, you know, the Missouri Tigers, obviously, in an SEC that now is soon going to be long forgotten. Ten years ago, they they competed for the SEC championship two years in a row. Uh, obviously, Texas A&M, they've had some good teams. Uh, Kentucky, I mean, they've had really good teams. Some of the best teams I've ever had under Mark Stoops. So, yeah, it certainly is developing into a situation, Chris, where you know, if you're South Carolina. You probably got to try to at least kind of stick around eight wins a year. Try to avoid having multiple years of six or seven wins or less because this new SEC, it's not going to be good enough. You want to stick up there in that top half of the conference. So certainly a lot of change to come with that once Texas and Oklahoma join this league. He is locked on SEC host Chris Gordy. Chris, I can't thank you enough for coming on to today's show. Where can all of the South Carolina fans find all of your work? Yeah, just locked on SEC wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. And uh, we'll be talking a lot about the Gamecocks here in, in the coming weeks and uh, talking about their chances. Again, you already heard my take. I, I'm taking them over Drake May and, and old Mac Brown in North Carolina. So uh, yeah, I think you'll start 1-0 or at least 2-0 with the win over Furman. But check us out, locked on SEC wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, quick side note, it's ridiculous that North Carolina's the betting favorites in that game, and I will be sure to annihilate that when it gets close to that point. But, Chris, again, thank you so much. For all you Locked On Gamecock viewers and listeners, thank you for tuning in to today's show. Have a great rest of your day, and I'll be sure to catch you all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.